Well, listen, today's today's show. Welcome, welcome to the program, by the way, Greg. Welcome to the pre-show. To the pre-show. Welcome this to isn't the actually pre-show. the program. The program comes after the pre-show. Uh, sure. Well, th- it's all one program with different segments, and this would be the pre-show. Fair enough. But um, Andrew Smith is coming on today. Yes. Uh, he is a carpenter by trade. Mm-hmm. And so you're, you, one would wonder why the heck is Greg and Kareem, why, why are they having a carpenter? You're going to have to stick around to yeah, find yes, out. Absolutely. Um, and, and not just that, but there's a, well, they have to stick around, yes, to find out. But, you know, let's, let's, spill, the, let's spill the tea here for, for our listeners. Um, but Andrew Smith. You're like the cheap date, right? You're the um, cheap yeah. date. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Is it cheap? Go ahead. But he is creating uh, models of a segment that we have on our show called Lost Venues. And so we started this Lost Venues I, I th- back in 2020. Yep. Uh, when I don't know who it was, but somebody no showed. Um, and maybe it wasn't that long. Maybe it was 2021, Greg. Uh, but somebody no showed. And you being the uh, former touring musician, recovering touring musician, said, well, you know, why don't we just talk about, I don't know if we had called it Lost Venues, but let's talk about this venue that doesn't exist anymore. So we, we talked about uh, Hotel Isabella, uh, Larry's Hideaway. Um, we spoke a bit about cabana uh, room. the Cabana Room. Um, El Macombo we talked about which uh, was an almost lost venue. Mm-hmm. And, and since then, we've asked almost all of our musician guests about their favorite lost venue and to tell stories about, about their favorite lost venue. And it didn't have to be in Toronto or the Toronto area or even Canada, for that matter. It could have been anywhere in the world, a room, a venue, a hall that meant something or there was a story that came out of it. And so we've heard about uh, tons of stories uh, over the past couple of years. But today, Andrew Smith is going to talk about lost venues that he is building. And he's building these amazing uh, pieces of art uh, uh, on uh, all about uh, Toronto's lost music venues. Yep. So uh, I'm really excited to speak with Andrew Smith and to ask him why he hasn't Given us props for inspiring him and his art. <laughs> okay. I'm sure. just kidding there. He's, he's done this all on his own. But, um, yeah, this will be exciting. So, so stay tuned for our conversation with uh, a carpenter, not from the band The Carpenters, but a real-life carpenter, Andrew Smith. Uh, speaking of The Carpenters, I yes. saw a video, which I've seen before. Did you ever see the video of Karen Carpenter playing drums? Because if oh, you haven't... Dude, I sent that to you, didn't I? I like, don't. this is a long time ago. Uh, you might have sent it to me it. a long time ago. I just saw somebody else share it again the other day, and it was just like, holy cow. Yeah, she absolutely kills it. Um, yeah. Speaking of loss, before we finish the pre-show, yeah. um, shout out to... Uh, there you go, Carpenters. 
I just wanted to uh, give a shout out to Jerry Doucette, who passed away, I believe, mm. yesterday at the age of 70. And all I can say is, mama, let him play. Let him play some rock and roll. And I think that's the way to finish the pre-show. Hi, the following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery. Hello, everybody. My name is Andrew Smith. I am a retired carpenter. I spent a lot of years building the odd and the unusual. And now that I'm retired, I'm still building the odd and the unusual. Um, I make a lot of miniatures of bars that have gone out of business. And here I am today talking on Welcome to the Music. Welcome, welcome, welcome. So uh, I'm excited to have you on today. My wife, my wife heard the CBC interview, I think, and okay. immediately sent to Kareem and myself a text going, you've got to get Andrew on your show. You've got to get Andrew on the show. And it's funny, as I started ripping through and looking at what you've done, we could actually we could actually probably spend the next hour. Creep could just leave, and yeah. you and I could talk about all the bars I you've agree. recreated and all my memories. My memories with my kids, my memories as a musician. It just, uh, yeah. It's That's a- become a theme through this whole project is pulling yeah. out people's memories. That's... Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's crazy. So I want to thank you. I want to thank you for reminding me of things that I had completely forgot about. And one of the ones that I wanted to start with was I saw the miniature of the edge and I yes. think it was a New Year's show. But we not at the edge, but at Lee's Palace, we opened for Dick Duck and the Dorks. So when I saw Dick Duck and the Dorks, <laughs> the edge thing, I'm like, oh, my God. And that's when I sent him a message. went, dude, you can just join us for the beginning yeah. and then you can check out. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun finding out about places that I never went to as well. Mm. The Edge was one of them. I mean, it was only yeah. around for about three years, surprisingly yeah. enough. And yet it has resonated a long time. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So, Andrew, I, I, I don't know if you've, you've checked out our show, but we, have, we actually have a segment mm-hmm. on our show called Lost Venues. Uh-huh. So where we will ask uh, every musician that comes on to have a story uh, or to tell us about uh, an experience or a memory they have from a venue that no longer exists. Okay. Um, and in, in our pre-show, I was, I was telling Greg, this all started when somebody no-showed and Greg had the idea of, you know, let's talk about these concert places that are disappearing and let's, you know, tell a story about them from Greg's days as a musician and, you know, just some historical facts about this venue and maybe some of the people that have played there and who used to own it and, you know, you know, so many other things as well. So, yeah, so when Greg and I saw that you were basically creating models of some of the things that we were talking about, it was, it was just natural, um, you know, to, to invite you on. Um, you, you started off at the beginning saying you're, you're, a, you're a former carpenter. Um, how did, why did you choose music venues? Why, why was that something you wanted to get? I didn't choose music venues. They chose me. Oh boy. It started out. I was, uh, building little libraries, you know, take a book, leave a book. 
Yeah. And I built a little library where I recreated a woman's house. And my brain went, hmm, because I made the porch into a door and the wall into a door. Yeah. And my brain went, I can make anything into a little library. I could even make the silver dollar as a little library. And that's what I started doing. Well, halfway through building it, the idea of the little library went out the back window and it was like, I just want to build these little things. Uh It wasn't until I did the third one, which was the Matador sign. And all I did was the sign. Uh I posted it on a Friends of Matador Facebook page. And the response was, again, that dragging out memories from everybody. The response was overwhelming. And that's the point where I went, this needs to be a series. And Uh that's where it was born. So why did you pick? Go ahead. No, finish off that thought. Sorry. That's 23 models ago. I just put another one on the wall today. 23 models. Yeah. That's a year's work. Oh my goodness. Wow. So is there, is is there 23 up on your Instagram page? Uh, 22. The 23rd one needs to go up later today. Okay. I just finished doing uh, the Knob Hill hotel. Oh, wow. Ah, Wow. Okay, so Silver Dollar was your first one. Yeah. Uh, with, did that, that sort of immediately came into your head? Do you have memories from that? Why? Or did, were you just driving by? Okay. Tell me about it. The Silver Dollar story. Yeah. Um, I remember seeing a band there, which called the Night Losers, who were from Transylvania. Oh, and wow. They played American Roots music. But every now and then, <laughs> their American Roots music would be, well, they would be playing eight days, six days on the road. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the song, it would turn into six days on a Romanian country road. And so I was there watching this band, and they were really good. And there were 100 drunken Canadians and 100 drunken Romanians on the dance floor having a great old time listening to six days on the road. All of a sudden, there was a chord change. And the 100 Romanians, in absolute perfect unison timing, started jumping up and down, whoosh, whoosh. It was magnificent. The floor, well, my brain went, this floor is going to give way. I'm going to die here at the silver dollar when the floor collapses. So there's only one thing to do, and that's to jump up and down and join the drunken Ukrainians. (laughs) (laughs) And that's my favorite silver dollar story. That's, That's awesome, because it reminds me of like, you know, you know, I've, I've, I've often said, you know, go to, go to shows, you know, 90, 90% 90% of them are going to be great, you know, whatever percent, not even that, 97% are going to be great, 2% you're going to be like, Meh, okay, that was an okay show, but that one time, that 1%, oh, yeah. like like when when my son and I were seeing Prophets of Rage and Dave Grohl comes out to do the encore for MC5's Kick Out the Jams, and it's just like, that's, right, it's like those stories. That, that, there's a moment you go, this will never be repeated. Yeah. And that's one of the things I love about live music is that it's gone. Enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I I haven't heard about the Matador Club. Um, The Matador Club? The Matador Club was the place you ended up on Friday night and Saturday night at 2, 3 o'clock in the morning when all the bars closed. Okay. Uh, it It was a legal, it was a legal after hours bar. Basically, they served no booze. Well, apart from the old lady in the corner who you could buy a Mickey off for 10, 15 bucks. And, but it was tolerated. 
basically the police went, yeah, we know where everybody is. It doesn't cause any trouble. We can go there. Cops could go there as well and have no trouble. So it was, it went along fine. And there was some phenomenal people played there. Johnny Cash played there. I remember seeing KD Lang when she was still wearing cut-off boots. So it was literally, you'd go to Convento Rico and then you'd go over to the Matador. You know, it was the the place you finished up at five, six in the morning. And there's, there's, there's talk of, there's talk of, uh, I remember a few years ago, again, pre-COVID, but wasn't there talk of somebody refurbishing the room or something in there? He tried so hard. Um, But eventually what happened was uh, it all fell out from underneath him. And there is a condo going up in that site. Of course there is. They have kept the sign. They're going to put it on the outside of the condo wall. All right. Kind of like the Sam sign, I guess. Right. Yeah. This is is, unusual that clubs come and go. Uh, One of the things I've realized is that clubs have a lifespan. Um, It's rare to have a club that lasts a long time. Mm Mm-hmm. Toronto's been very funny in that uh, we can trace the history of music clubs back to 1947 when they changed the liquor laws in Ontario and allowed cocktails to be served. So um, that meant people could sit and just drink. And uh, how do you keep them sitting in a bar and drinking? Well, you have a band playing. So that was 75 years ago. Mm -hmm. And there were seven venues got licenses that year. There's only one of them still around, and that's the Horseshoe Tavern. Horseshoe, Horseshoe Tavern, yeah. yeah. We yeah. had we had Dave McPherson on to talk about his book, for the, the Horseshoe, and uh, it was amazing going through that history. Um, yeah, it's the yeah. only one left. Yeah. That's crazy. That's crazy. How, how do you decide, um, so after you did The Silver Dollar... I, I, do you start taking requests? Do you do you sit and think what would be? Part of it is the first place is into my own memory. Yeah. Places that, I mean, I've been in this town for 50 odd years. So I've been to a couple of clubs. So the, <laughs> starting from there. And then there's also the Internet is a wonderful resource to show me old clubs, you know? Yeah. Um, and then also, well, for example, in the case of the Knob Hill, the Knob Hill was a place that was not on my radar at all. And all of a sudden, the uh, the Scarberia crew decided that they needed to inform me that I had something I needed to build. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, every now and then stuff comes along. So, like I say, in some respects, I'm almost along for the ride like everybody else. Yeah. And that this thing has sort of taken on a life of its own. That yeah, okay, we'll build this one. Yeah. Huh. A lot of it also comes from, can I get enough information on the place to build it? Hmm. Uh, the Knob Hill was difficult. One of the most difficult ones was the Bamboo, which was such a seminal club in this town. It really was. But mm-hmm. to get information on that that alleyway, yep. I mean, I yep. got a picture of the sign and the cabin, but what was on the sides was not the okay. Which is not surprising. I mean, who goes to a club and takes the camera with us and says, let's take a picture of the door before we go in? Nobody. So, sure. So yeah. I ended up spending two days going through uh, Queen Street in the 80s videos, freeze frame to get 
details. So sometimes it's hard. Other times it's just real easy. You get a picture, you go to Google Maps and go history view, and there it is right there. Oh, thank you very much. So we, Yeah, but we don't have that for the bamboo. I mean, I played there a number of oh. times. And it was one of my favorite places to play, probably because of the pad thai. But anyway. Um, I was, my was my line is that two-thirds of the people in Toronto had pad thai at the bamboo for the first yeah. time in their life. <laughs> exactly. I think I might have actually had it for the first time. If I think about it, I used there to. Uh, if I, you know, you mentioned that, though. I honestly, I, I do wonder that. I remember, I remember being at the bamboo because... Um, Paul La, who was uh, one of the keyboard guys over at Steve's and my tech, um, he he said, well, we're going to go over next across the street for some from pad thai. And so we were sitting there, my girlfriend, Paul and myself at the time. And then uh, he said, oh, hey, come over here. I want you to meet some friends. And he's from Halifax. And he says, oh, Greg, Erica, I want you to meet my friend, Sarah. This is Sarah McLaughlin. This is Greg. And, and it was just like, you're just, you're just sitting there eating pad thai at the bamboo on a Saturday afternoon, just chilling out. I'm sure there was a band on stage or warming up or whatever. And yeah, it was just, I, I got goosebumps. Bamboo was such an important club. Mm-hmm. It really was. Um, Toronto became known as this little world music city for a while. Mm-hmm. And I think the bamboo had a lot to do with that, that it was just let's mishmash all these styles together and see what mm-hmm. comes out. And what came out was some really good pad thai. Yeah. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Were you were you always a, I don't know, a music historian or a music history no. buff? Um, historian, yes. Music historian, that's a recent thing. But again, as a historian just likes to look at old stuff. Okay. Uh, it's just that nowadays my focus is on music much more so than it was in the past. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, 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 I, I like researching the venues that I'm building. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Just, just, just a, I guess, just to put the personality into it, or yeah. Yeah. Stories, and as much as anything to get dates, um, so that I can slot it into my little calendar thingy and whatnot. Yeah. But also, it's history. It's fun. Sure. Yeah. If we look at if we look at what like we haven't really talked about you as a carpenter, can you talk about what you did before? Because I think that's okay. sort of I spent forty odd years. Like I, I say, my, the line is I built the odd the odd and the unusual. Um, I was in exhibit and display for a while, and I spent about 25, 30 years in television, building sets for uh, Rick Mercer. Air Force. Um, my specialty was building award stages. If uh, you if you've done the genies, Gemini's, Junos, Abos, any of those, I built the damn stage. Mm, wow. It was a specialty. So I spent a lot of time going from a small piece of place where was drawing on it to building this massive thing, and now I'm on the other side of the coin, going from this small piece of paper going down and building small things. Mm. So it's all it's always been creative work. And it's always been project driven. And so in that respect, it fits in very easily. Yeah. So well, you, must have, you must ahead. have stories, Andrew, you know, back in the day of building stuff for the Junos and so on and so forth of, <laughs> of musicians. I remember building a stage at the Sky Dome. I still call it the Sky Dome. Yeah. Um, for the Aga Khan. Mm. The stage was 40 feet deep. 125 feet long, yeah. with about a 20-foot back wall that was all intricate um, Islamic cutout kind of filigree. Yeah, yeah. 
with it with it with an emergency escape door just in case. Yeah, and it was all for one guy, one guy. So that yeah. Thing. Did you and build the chair? We had to cut two big holes in it to put air conditioners underneath it because well, he liked it cool when he was on stage. Mm. I, I went to that show. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> all of that, you know, all that carpet that was on the floor? It was yeah. all brand new carpet. Brand new carpet. <laughs> it was all given away afterwards. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think my mom had or used to have one of those carpets, a piece of the carpet. Oh, I don't doubt it. There was a tremendous amount of carpet on the floor. And it was all brand new, like I say, all brand yeah. new. Yeah, and it yeah. also wow. they carpeted the entire track around the arena inside because well he might be walking there you know, and we can't have him walking on concrete. Yeah. Wow. There you go. You, I never I didn't in my wildest dreams think you'd say that. Uh, <laughs> based based on my questions I'm, I'm thinking he's going to tell a tragically hip story or a rush story or something about he met Michael Jackson or Prince but <laughs> No, 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 I'm a carpenter. We're always in the goddamn. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. But, you, I mean, you, you speak about, you know, bamboo with the pad thai and stories from the silver dollar. Um, what did what did music mean to you, and especially live music? It was socialism. It, it was, I was going to say socialism. Um, it was social life. I mean, that, that's where the life is. In a city, mm-hmm. um, you want to feel safe? Go to a club. Well, oh. that's close. <laughs> yeah, but it also makes the city safer. It makes the city more alive. Um, it's just people like listening to live music. People like musicians like making music. They have no choice. They got to make music. Yeah, um, and they need places to play. So, mm-hmm. plus, yeah. it gets me out of the house. The other thing is, is I'm a photographer. Oh. And I have always enjoyed photographing correction, trying to photograph people in bars. The lighting in bars is atrocious for photographers. It might be fine for you people watching and listening and whatnot, but for photographers, it's not very good. But, it's, again, it's part of the social aspect of going out and doing something creative. And I, and I think that, like, again, I'm thinking of the, the memories that I had and some of the models you've made, like, you know, I remember living out in Whitby um, and my buds and I, and this is actually post kids. So probably sort of late nineties kind of thing. And we'd come in and we'd hit the chicken deli. Cause you always knew oh, yeah. to your point of social and like m- m- pretty much always cover bands, but some of the best musicians playing just the classic songs and they're still going today under a different name but yeah yeah. that venue is still going today i mean face it i mean not everything was downtown Um, Uh i have a tendency to be to tendency to be downtown centric but there are all these outlying places um and young and eglinton there's a lot of people live near young and eglinton and the chicken deli was a fabulous draw yeah yeah i love that place i used to listen to q107 uh, a lot as as a kid, and and they would have these um, almost like a commercial break, but of upcoming concerts that that Q one hundred seven was sponsoring or presenting, and they would talk about all these different clubs. And one of the one of the clubs which which you've made a, a model of was the Gasworks. Yeah. Um, tell me, tell me about the Gasworks. What kind of a place was it? If you remember, and 
The gas what did you learn when up. you were making it? Back in those days, uh, I used to play darts a lot, competitively. Uh, hustling is not the right word, but that's what I used to do. <laughs> and the gas worked for me. It was, it, I had a Friday night crawl. And it okay. started at, uh, there was the Artful Dodger, uh, the, the Duke of Gloucester, and the gas works. And I could go upstairs at the gas work, and I could hustle darts. And I could pay for my beer on Friday nights. So I, that's my main memory of the place. Um, when I made it, um, it was, nah, it's too clean. It needs to be dirtied up. So I, I literally sprayed blackboard around it so they end up all dirty and the letter fell off and whatnot. But again, it's, somebody said it looks just like it felt walking down Young Street, which is about the best compliment I can get. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's funny because, again, one of the posters you have on the Gasworks is Gatto. And I remember telling Greg Godovitz when he joined us on the podcast um, my my favorite story and, and our, my guitarist at the time worked at a camera with a record shop was just north of the Gasworks, I think. Like a like a like okay. CD, not a CD, but a, a CD record shop at that time. Anyway, um, and I remember we went and grab we grab a beer at the Gasworks before we'd head out to Durham to practice. And because that's where our band was based out of, aside from our guitarist. And I remember it was Anvil. And they had one guy that would always get up on stage and drink an entire pint of beer through one nostril. It's <laughs> just like, like where where are you going to see that other than the gas? Oh, works? great Canadian stories. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, I thought that was funny that you had Gatto up on the, the gas. Works filled a really important niche in that oh, yeah. it was a, a major stepping ladder. Uh, you played you, you played the gas works. The next thing you know, you you're going to be on tour. You know. Mm. Mm-hmm. Plus, it was important for all the Scarborough kids like Kareem that they took that secret underground subway that went from Scarborough right up into the Gasworks, and you know that's where oh, they were. Is that how you got there? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Well, I was finding out today when I did the Knob Hill. I mean, there were two choices: there was the Knob Hill or downtown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what um, What was your favorite, or, or one of your favorite shows? That you went to, Andrew, in one of these uh, one of these places. I'm going to go back to the Colonial Tavern. Hmm. Um, I was uh, probably about 20, 21, and new to jazz. And the Colonial was a really, really good place for someone who was new to jazz. And I remember going there and getting a seat right up close to the stage, and I saw Elvin Jones, who was a, an, a jazz drummer. Okay, And I got to look at him and be absolutely astounded that anybody, any human being could move all of their limbs in entirely different time signatures. It was just like, how does his brain do that? I have a hard enough time clapping my hands together, you know? And yeah, I really liked, I liked the Colonial a lot because when it was, I was new in town and it was a good place to go. That's interesting. Right. Um, there's there's a couple of places that you've done that sort of well, one hope well not one hopefully we do have, we'll have the rebirth of Hughes Room out on my way because I'm on the east end like like the Riverdale area, uh-huh. um, and and the uh, the real jerk. Um, so it's interesting that you did a couple of places like like 
um, did you do them when they weren't around anymore or did you do yeah. it in honor of the original locations? Uh, my parameters have always been live music and dead and gone. Okay. Um, when I did the real jerk, when I, when I did the silver dollar, my, my brain was thinking iconic signage, mm -hmm. which is what led to the real jerk because mm -hmm. it's about as iconic as you can get in Eastern. Yeah, Island. of course. Um, and then it transformed into old music places, but exclusively places that are now silent. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. Back to the uh, Colonial for a minute. There was, yeah, yeah, please. Because the Colonial was one of the first seven licensed clubs in 1947. And they influenced music in Toronto in that the first band to play at the Colonial Tavern was a guy by the name of Guy McLean and his orchestra. Guy McLean was a hunchback piano player from Nova Scotia who was black and had an orchestra, but they never played any place other than locals in Southern Ontario. And they were a, a traveling band, but they never played any top level establishments. When the Colonial opened the doors, they said, let's make a statement. And they got Guy McLean as their first act ever. And in some respects, that led towards the acceptance of black musicians on Young Street, which became a really big deal as far as jazz musicians from the States was concerned, because yeah. it automatically put Toronto on the tour list. You know, you would be uh, Nashville, Kansas City, Chicago, Detroit, Buffalo, New York. Well, let's throw Toronto in for a couple of weeks as well. Because the amount of talent that was in this town during the 60s in particular was phenomenal. I mean, there were seven or eight jazz clubs on Young Street, and they were out, they were trying to outdo each other. So you could see Eller up there and you could see Dave Brubeck down there. It was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we had um I remember having we had Daniel Tate from who wrote the book The Flyer Vault. Okay. And uh, we, we dove deep into that in terms of the, the history and the, you know, the, the, the black musicians being able to start mm -hmm. to play the clubs along Young Street. And yeah, just um, an interesting time, an interesting time. And, and for a lot of it was, it was great for Toronto to be able to do that. Sorry, go ahead. For, for a lot of those black musicians, Toronto was an interesting place to play because they could walk in the front door. Yes. In a hotel. Yeah. Uh, that was rare on the tour. Um, so you want me to do two weeks in Toronto? Sure. No problem. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, is there, is there something Andrew that surprised or shocked you so far? Uh, as, as you learn about these venues, when you, when you start creating surprise, but yeah, um, I've been, I just recently did the rock pot, which is mm -hmm. the old Masonic temple, one of the, mm -hmm. the old Masonic temples. And, when I started researching it, I found out it had such a long history. I had such a hard time deciding, do I do the rock pile? Do I do the whole Masonic temple? And so I put it sort of on the shelf and said, I'm going to go do something easier. And I decided to do the Big Bop. Huh. So I go delving into the history of the Big Bop. And the first thing I find out is that it used to be a Masonic temple. Of course. <laughs> and it had a third floor and a fourth floor watchtower which mm -hmm. got torn down when they changed it into the holiday tavern. So stuff like that. Uh -huh. 
Yeah, it's funny seeing the big bop because my brother, who was also a musician out of a, a fairly popular band out of London, Ontario, and I remember going there and seeing them in the salads. And again, I just every 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 one of your things, just not every one of your things, because I mean, I don't, I wasn't around the colonial and that, but you know, so many of them just bring back those memories. Yeah. It's just, uh, and that's the thing I'm finding from people is that it triggers memories. Um, your big bop is perfect, except you don't have me hanging out the window smoking a cigarette, waiting for Mark to come up and change the cake. You know, things like that. It's how, nice. did, how did how did you pick the, the posters for each of the venues? Like I think about that. I was thinking about the Gatto poster in Rush with with the gas works, and then you know some ones uh, in the big bop with like the rebels and Tick Tock of the Doors. As much as anything is all right. Who played there? Okay, find a and then internet search, find a poster. Oh. Yeah. Which which is interesting because it's like, you know, again, you know, I can see Rush and, and that and I think Helix with the big bop and others. But I mean, you know, as popular as Dick Duck and the Dorks were and as much fun as it was to share the stage with them. I mean, they're not a huge band. They're oh, not well, one well, of the bigger bands of the Edge. Um, okay. When I went looking for pictures of the Edge, that's the picture that came up. And so one of the things when I when I did the silver dollar, yeah. um, I wanted to do I did that one specific to a date. The date on that model is if I can remember this, February the second, nine two thousand and two, I believe. I'm probably yeah. wrong, but I was I had it in my head that I want because I read the marquee, mm-hmm. and I dug to find out what day they played and. And so I've had this thing in my head of trying to relate my model to a specific time. If I can relate it to a specific date, I'll do that. Hmm. Complete to the little now magazines down in the corner because you can. Oh, yeah. That's right, a pile of newspapers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, did now yeah, did yeah. you know that you can track down the cover of every now magazine in its forty-year history? I did not know that until I made my silver dollar model. Wow. wow. Um, I'm looking at one of the photos you took of the Silver Dollar Room, and you have a comment there by uh, Lee Harvey Osmond, um, who has who has come on our show uh, a while ago. Uh, obviously, Tom Wilson is who we're talking about. Um, but have you heard from any uh, musicians or bands, yeah. whether in the comments or DMs? Um, you mentioned Greg, Greg Godovitz. Greg's been um, a big fan for the past little while since the Gasworks model. Um, other players, uh, oftentimes it's I painted that sign, which I also find interesting. Uh, the woman who painted the bamboo sign, a guy who painted the sign on the big bubble and whatnot, uh, reached out and said, Oh, I'm amazed that there's a picture of it still around. Yeah, so things like that. That is That's amazing. Awesome. Where where are these models now, Andrew? Yeah, they are in a gallery. They are ah. in the Smith Living Room Wall Gallery, <laughs> <laughs> which is rapidly running out of space. Yes. And what does the rest of the family think of your gallery? I live alone. I don't give a shit. You don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, um, everybody. It's funny as individual pieces. They're really quite good. But as a collection altogether, it's really <laughs> impressive. It's one hell of a streetscape. Yeah. And so, so like, is there a plan to 
exhibit. Yes. And she's like, I, I would love the opportunity at some point yeah. to see Down your the work. road, what I would like to do is um, I've done photo exhibits where I did um, portrait and words. And I would like to do a similar thing of model and words. And basically sure. a little history of the venue, a couple of little stories of the venue. And that's what I would like to do. Um, it's down the road a piece. We'll see. You, I'm do, getting do, do, close do. to when I when I just I'm getting close to what I consider to be a, a collection. Yeah, my goal was always 24 pieces, and I'm getting close. And at that point, I will start looking at the idea of putting it somewhere. Where I don't know. It'll call and tell me. Is wow. is there is there any are there any venues that a, you haven't done that you really need to do, or B, you don't, not don't want to do it. I don't mean that in a negative way, but no, like, I know what you, mean. Like you don't want to touch. Um, I, I have to do the Cadillac Lounge. Okay. But I can't find yeah. a fucking Cadillac. Um, mm-hmm. I also want to do the Hard Rock Cafe. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, a, because it was so downtown, so iconic. And also my daughter was the last band to play there. So that's okay. And so I'm making that one as much for her as anything else. Yeah. Um, one's um, the cock door is on my mind a lot these days. Okay. Um, Why is that? Hideaway, but it's just a sign on a building. But again, there are so many that uh, I literally say that this is a legacy project. I'm going to be doing this for a long time. Okay. So there's no plans to stop. Oh, no, 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 no. All right. I don't have a choice in this matter. Yeah. <laughs> No, no. Uh, I mean, it's like I keep finding out about places that I never knew about. And yeah. it was like, oh, really? Oh, other pictures. Okay, no, there we go. Well, it's funny you mentioned Larry's Hideaway because I think Larry's Hideaway was our original lost venue because that was the first like, one, I think, right? Yeah, because it was like, I, 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 I believe Larry's Hideaway was probably my first Toronto again growing up in Whitby. My first downtown Toronto gig oh, yeah, when I was I mean, like sixteen was or something. Yeah, yeah. It was it was kind of weird though because I mean it was pretty punk then, and we were uh, we were like the the silver lame with the drum it machine. Was and, never, it was never it was never high toned. The Larry's was never high toned. No, no, no uh, even sure. on his best days. Yeah. <laughs> One of the but, first things that came to my mind, Andrew, when I when I first saw your stuff was. I wonder how many of these he has sold. Now I know you haven't sold any, or maybe you have. I have. But what's you have? Hmm. Okay. I've sold two. Now okay. what I've what I've realized is that I am not going to sell the originals. Ah. I will make a copy so that the collection stays together. Okay. And that's the way I'm working it. Can you tell us which ones you've sold? Um, I did the brown der sold the brown derby. And I did one orbit room. Okay. Is that is that on commission? Like, can people commission you? To? Commission, yeah. Yeah. Huh. I, do, I like it. I like it. I like it. I like it. Do you like it enough to pay me a lot of money? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Good. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and this is retirement for you, so it's not like you know. You no, of... I mean it, it. It's free money. I'm I'm going to be building the damn things anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that's where that's where you really should have built the the um, Elma combo during that window, and then oh, you could have no, sold it back to Weck no, for like I'm a kidding. couple of million dollars. Uh, yeah, 
<laughs> but it, it's funny how um, it, it it's worked out weird. The bamboo, as I mentioned earlier, it took me a yeah. long time to get around to making the bamboo. Yeah. Um, and then finally I got enough data information and I finally got it all built. And I had no sooner got it built and I posted a picture of it when um, Nicholas Jennings, who is a local music historian, called me and said, um, um, do you know about the Toronto Music Museum, which is a small museum in what used to be the old Hard Rock Cafe upstairs in what is now Shoppers. And they were doing an exhibit on Caribbean music in Toronto. And he said, uh, your timing is impeccable, Andrew, because would you lend it to us for a year? <laughs> At which point I went, the timing is perfect. So I said, yes, which meant that I immediately had to go make another one, but that's okay. Yeah. But again, that kind of thing has been flowing through this project all by itself. There's been a couple of cases of kismet and serendipity that have been so nice that you just go with it. And that's why I go back to the idea of that it has a life of its own. Yeah. That every now and then it tells me what to do. So that's that's, that's with that. Yeah, that's no, that's that's interesting. And I think of, you know, again, my history, not my history, my memories, sorry. And, you know, to bring it full circle, I, you know, the Rancho Relaxo. And I remember, I remember Kelly and myself and we're Brady Bunch and move the kids in together and, you know, uh, two and two kind of thing. And my daughter was singing at the, uh, I don't know if it was Christmas or if it was Solstice. It might've been the Solstice Festival in Kensington Market and with her school choir, the choir that she was involved with. And then we worked our way up to Rancho Relaxo and, you know, just had an amazing family dinner there where it was just like, again, just the memories, right? Like it's just, yeah. anyway, so, so again, I, I, you know, for me to finish off, I just want to thank you for the, the flood of memories that you've brought back to me with your work. Good. Um, I'm pleased that I'm doing that. Yeah. Because that is my intention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Andrew Smith, thank you so much You're very for welcome. joining us. This has been fun. Yeah, um, I'm going. It. I'm going to let people know where they can find your work. So if you know where Andrew Smith lives, just knock on his door. He'll give you a tour <laughs> of, the, of the exhibit. Other or excuse me, Tony, you can anytime. I'm usually home. And uh, yeah, or or you can go to uh, Instagram, Instagram.com slash a smith dot yyz. Correct. Uh, Asmith.yyz on Instagram. And uh, yeah, just take That's a deep dive. To see all the work I've done. Yeah, take a deep mm. dive into. into uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Into Toronto music history um, and search Andrew Smith lost music venues uh, in your favorite search engine. And the tagline also- I've come up with for the series is Toronto Lost Music City. Toronto Lost <laughs> Music go. City. There you go. Andrew, this has been fun. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much for this. We really appreciate your time. FYI, I will be featured in the Toronto Star this Sunday. Oh, excellent. Yes, I agree. Yeah, yeah, no, that's fantastic. And and are there there any other places or anything that Creep didn't mention where people should be checking out? No, as far as my work is concerned, that's it. Yeah. 
Perfect. I'm trying to be low-key about the whole thing, but that's all right. Well, it's not being low-key for you because people are loving the work. Um, spreading the word. I, I feel like the media flavor of the month. <laughs> <laughs> can we um, can we use some yes. of these photos? Anything you want. Awesome. If you need Thank more, you. holler. I got more. Thank Perfect. you. No, this is amazing. I think this is amazing. This is really, really good. And uh, uh, congratulations on, on all of the... Uh, yeah. on, Thank you. On... on Putting out some awesome, amazing work. This is really, this is really important. I find I it very funny that in the middle of a goddamn pandemic, I'm having the most productive year of my free. <laughs> <laughs> we should, it's we should all be so productive. Ironic in a funny way. Yeah. No, that's great. Absolutely. Andrew, have a great evening. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate your time.